Bible books in 30 minutes. Through the Bible, book by book, with author, pastor and Bible teacher Mike Beaumont, who's talking to David Tavner. So we're going to focus on three letters this time, the first, second and third letter from John. Now, again, Mike, just remind us, which John are we talking about? Well, we're talking about John the Apostle. Now, the interesting thing is there's no name attached to any of these three letters. So they are anonymous in the text themselves. But the the words, the language, the ideas, the style of writing are so similar to John's gospel that they just have to come from the same writer. And certainly in one John It opens with words that show that the writer was very much an eyewitness to Jesus. So put all that together, and it's pretty clear that what we've got here are three letters written by the Apostle John in his old age. And by the way, no other name was ever suggested in the early church for who wrote these, and they were much closer than us. So we've got three letters from the Apostle John, yep, former fisherman, former son of thunder as Jesus nicknamed him and his brother Thunderboy. And one of the things that stands out to me as we read these letters is they are just so full of love. That's a big theme of the letter. And it stands out all the more because this is Thunderboy. This is the boy who used to let off and who has discovered a different way in his walk with Jesus. And he's just so full of love and encouraging the church to be the same. So he's towards the end of his life. And to whom is he writing? Yeah, towards the end of his life, as you say. uh, So we're probably looking somewhere, if the gospel's around 85 AD, these are probably somewhere between 85 to 95 AD when he's quite an old man. And to whom is he writing? Well, again, well, we're not told for one John. There's no indication to whom it's written. It's clearly to Christians. We just don't know who they are or or where they lived. But it looks like it was intended to be a circular letter by its very nature to go around the homes in which the church has met. And we know from early Christian authors that John lived in Ephesus from around sort of 70 AD and worked in churches in that area. So the most likely conclusion is that it's John writing to the Christians in those areas and into the churches for which he was responsible. Two and three, we do have a little bit more information, though it's not exactly helpful. Two John is addressed to the chosen lady and her children. We have no idea who that is. It's either to a a lady, presumably of some standing, in whose home one of the churches met and her children, or some scholars even think it's a figurative way of describing the local church and its members. And three, John, is to a guy called Gaius. Now, who was Gaius? Well, he could have been anybody is the honest answer because Gaius was an incredibly common Roman name. So we've no idea who he was, but he's clearly, again, one of the leaders, or at least uh, it was in his home that one of the churches met to whom John is writing. Well, let's look at the first letter then. Uh, You said the theme is very much about love. Yes, love really permeates the whole thing. 
Though, once again, as we've seen in so many of the letters, John roots his stuff in theology, in sound truth about Jesus. And if some of the previous letters we've looked at, for example, Colossians, you know, we could sum that up as what was the issue that Paul was addressing in Colossians? It was Jesus plus. Uh, they were accepting Jesus, but they were wanting to add things. Oh, you need Jesus plus this, this and this. I often think of 1 John as, as being about Jesus minus. So they were believers in Jesus, but it seems like there were some false teachers coming in. We've come back to that false teachers thing again. It was a real problem here in the early church. And they're people who believe in Jesus. And because of what I'm about to say, this really still has an awful lot of relevance for today. But they believed in sort of Jesus minus some of the bits that made him who he was. So there are clearly some people who were denying that Jesus was really fully human, uh, like you and I. So he actually opens his letter by saying that which was from the beginning, which we've heard, which we've seen with our eyes, which we've looked at and our hands have touched this we proclaim to you about the word of life. So he's really emphasizing there that the word, remember that's a phrase he uses for Jesus in his gospel, that this word truly became flesh as he puts it in the opening verses of his gospel. And they'd really seen him and touched him and handled him. So there were some clearly who were taking away from something of Jesus's true humanity there were others who were denying that Jesus's sacrificial death was necessary. He touches on that in chapter one. So Jesus, yeah, fine, good teacher. But, you know, this stuff about him dying as a substitutionary sacrifice on the cross, don't know really about that. There were others who were claiming, yeah, we need Jesus, but but we now are sinless. There were others who were denying the very nature of God and hence his stuff about God being light and God being love and and God sending his son. And these false teachers, these Jesus minus people were seem to have been going around from church to church teaching these ideas. And the trouble is they weren't just ideas, they were undermining the assurance of some of these believers. And so John's writing to them so that they can be sure and they get not a Jesus plus and a Jesus minus, but they get the real Jesus, who he was and why he came. So he's right from the start, sort of going back to basics, putting them straight so that the rest of his message can be understood in that context. Yeah, absolutely. And it is all about Jesus as he truly is. Jesus as the one who reveals whom the Father is to us. So everything keeps coming back to Jesus. You said that there's this theme of love. I'm reminded that John himself, did he not describe himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved? Yes, interesting, isn't it? Um, we said when we were looking at John's gospel in a previous episode that that seems to become it almost a little nickname and he signs off his gospel with using that phrase, the disciple whom Jesus loved. And 
We know that John was one of those close, intimate circle of three, Peter, James, and John, who were particularly close to Jesus and with whom there was this particular bond of love between them. And it seems like that relationship of love with Jesus, you know, perhaps just a point to stop and say, at the end of the day, uh, Christianity is not about believing certain things. It's it's about believing a person. It's about a relationship with a person. It's about falling in love with a person and walking his way and following him. And this thunder boy, this son of thunder, had so found himself melted and shaped by the love that Jesus had shown him, particularly in that inner circle of three, that love now becomes a a dominating theme in this letter. And so it's rich and full of how God has loved us. One of my favorite verses in chapter three, how great is the love the Father has given us, has lavished upon us, that we should be called the children of God, and that is what we are. And there's this sense of wonder that God loved us enough to send this Jesus who I walked with all those decades earlier. And through Jesus, we discovered the love of God, and that love of God now burns within us. And I I want you guys to express that love to one another and to live in it yourself. And presumably he wanted them to discover again if they had lost it, that that love for them from God. Uh, Yes, absolutely. And and you you see, this is the trouble with the Jesus minus thing. You know, our theology always has implications for our life. Theology, and all that simply means is what we believe about God and Jesus, does not exist in a vacuum. Whatever theology we develop we will end up letting that shape how we live. What we believe inevitably affects what we will be. And that's why there is so much in 1 John about theology, about Jesus, about who he is, about his death on the cross, about only him being able to forgive us. Because if our theology gets undermined, it will start to affect the way we live. I mean, let's use an example. It's very common. One of the verses that stand out in John, 1 John chapter 4 and verse 16 says, God is love. And sometimes that verse is taken out of context to say, if we have to sum up anything about God, here it is. God is love. But that's not all there is to say about love. Actually, John has said earlier, in his letter, God is light. Why not let use that one to sum up all there is to say about God? And it is possible to just take that verse, God is love, and to say that will ne'er shape everything in my life. That's all there is to say about God. He's love. Therefore, whatever I do and however I live, God will love me and God will understand and God will say, well, there, there, yeah, I understand But we cannot take that verse out of context and use it as an excuse for living in a way or believing things or doing things or taking a lifestyle up that scripture clearly says is wrong. This is not, you know, like in games of cards, sometimes you'll have a trump card, you play it and that's it. 
you win the hand. It beats all the others. This is not a Bible verse that beats all the others. And if ever we start building a Christian life on just this one verse, God is love, as though the Bible said nothing else about God, that God is righteous and God is justice and God is truth and God is light, then we'll end up building a lifestyle that is the very opposite of what John and what the whole of the scriptures call us to. So what we do with our theology will end up shaping how we live, which is why this letter is very Jesus-focused. And John's focus on love is not just because he knew he was loved by Jesus, but because he wants those hearing his words presumably, to really get to grips with what true love is all about. Yes, absolutely. And there will be uh, passages in this letter where he will be very specific about how that love should be expressed. He, he will tell us really in chapters three and four that true love is costly. It costs Jesus, obviously. It cost him his life. And if we are going to truly live that love out, then it will cost us as well. Most Christians will know John 3.16, God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have an everlasting life. But very few Christians know 1 John 3.16. And 1 John 3.16 says, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. So if, if 1 John 3.16 is about Jesus laying his life down for us, 1 John 3.16 is about us being ready to lay down our lives for others. So real love, John's saying, is costly. It might cause you to lay down your life. It's also, he says, very practical. In the very next verse, after the one that I've just read about laying down our lives, he says in chapter 3, verse 17, if anyone has material possessions and sees his brother in need but has no pity on him, how can the love of God be in him? Dear children, let us not love with words or tongue but with actions and in truth. So love is not theoretical for John. It's not self-serving. It's not an excuse for me doing whatever I like. It is a motivation to so being filled with God's love and what Jesus has done for us that we are motivated to go out and to love others in very, very practical ways, including if someone doesn't have material possessions and you do, love means you're going to have to help them out. Let's then look at these other two letters from John, because it'd be interested to know whether there's some practical application in those. So this second letter, you said it's um, it's addressed to an unknown lady and her children. I'm, I'm intrigued by that choice of word lady rather than woman. It probably suggests that she has some sort of position in society. But as I said, some people think it might just be a, a picture a metaphor for the church. I actually think it's a lady in a home and it looks like her love was being expressed in she had opened up her home to some of the traveling preachers that there were in the early church. Now, 
the interesting thing here is John will say to her, again on this theme of love, that love sometimes has hard choices to make. You know, love doesn't always say yes. Sometimes the loving thing is to say no. And it seems that members of the church were in a bit of a quandary as to when they should offer hospitality to these traveling preachers and when to refuse it. Because some of these false teachers were traveling around. He talks about many deceivers who don't acknowledge Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh have gone out into the world. And John says any such person is a deceiver and the Antichrist. So watch out. You don't lose what you've worked for there. And if anyone comes to you and doesn't bring the true teaching about Jesus, he says, do not take him into your house or welcome him. So here's an example of love actually now will need to say, no, I'm sorry. I know I'm called upon to offer hospitality. Hospitality, by the way, was hugely important in the early church. You know, when there were no travel lodges or premier inns, other hotels are available to be able to stay overnight. So staying in the home of a fellow Christian, a safe place to stay was very important. And it looked like these false teachers were turning up and saying, you know, well, we're here preaching the word and, you know, you do have a rather nice home here and you've got plenty of money. And I think it's your responsibility to take me in. And, and John's saying, do you know what? Love in this case means saying, no, sorry, you're teaching the truth. And my love for the church will now make me say no to you. And we get a similar thing in 3 John, which is a really, really short letter. It's almost like a little note written to this guy called Gaius, who there is commended for the love he's shown in exercising hospitality to the traveling preachers. But he's warned about a guy called Diotrephes, who loves to be first. Hmm. He loves to have you know, the position to be seen, to be talked about, to, to be noticed there in the church. One of the older versions translates it. He loves to have preeminence. He's a bit puffed up and full of himself. And there, love means not letting him get away with that and not letting him continue to put himself in the first place. So love is a really important quality that we show as Christians because God has shown it to us but sometimes love needs to say no, and that's the most loving thing to do. I find it remarkable that these two short letters, second and third John, zoom in so closely and they're so specific about very, on the face of it, insignificant situations. Yeah, I mean, almost trivial was almost the word I was going to drop in there for you. But I, th I think what it does is, I think it shows a number of things. Uh, nothing escapes God. Nothing's too small for God. Do you remember Jesus said, not even a sparrow falls to the ground and God doesn't notice it. And for me, one of the things I, I sort of take away from those letters as a whole, particularly two and three John, uh, you know, no one is too insignificant for God and no thing is too insignificant for God. Here's this lady and this guy, Gaius, who, bless them, were just opening up their homes. And, and we wouldn't have known about them. They'd have probably just quietly got on with living their Christian lives. And uh, they wouldn't have even been known had these letters not been written. And yet 
they are written and they are known. And so for me, it tells us that no one's missed by God. No one's too insignificant for God. You know, you may be listening to this today and think, oh, you know, I don't do very much in my church. I'm not very important, really. I tell you, God sees you and God notices you. And the little things that are done, the exercising here of hospitality, maybe you're someone who can open up your home at times when visitors come through to the church. Maybe you're someone who can bake cakes or cook a meal for someone to bless them when they're in a time of need. And those little things that you do, what this letter says to me is, God notes those expressions of love. I love the thought that, you know, we'll be looking in a future episode at at John's other letter, the book of Revelation, and it talks there about God having books and people's names being written in the books and what we do being written in the books. And I love the thought of there in heaven, you know, every time someone makes a meal or opens up their door to someone for a bit of hospitality, you know, it goes in the book of heaven. God doesn't miss anyone and God doesn't miss anything. And if you've been working away, beavering away, you know, a bit unseen, I want to say this to you today. God sees it, God notes it, and it's gone down in his book, just like it did for this lady and for Gaius. There is... By the sound of it, there's another dimension to it. There's a spiritual dimension to what's going on. I mean, I heard you reference uh, the Antichrist. You know, this is not just a sort of purely practical matter. It sounds like it's uh, very, very serious. Yes, and I think that's a really good point to pick up, David, because in 1 John chapter 2, where he's talking about how these false teachers are leading people astray, he reminds them why it is that there is someone who wants to lead people astray. The devil wants to lead people astray. It's in his vested interests to lead people astray from God. And one of the ways he does that, you know, is not through appearing with his you know, horns and his pitchfork and breathing fire upon us. He he does it very often through people. And and so John talks in, in chapter two of his first letter, he says, Dear children, this is the last hour. And as you've heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come. Now that term Antichrist isn't used an awful lot in the New Testament. The word anti means against. So an antichrist is someone who's standing against Christ and opposing him rather than making false claims to be him, which Christians can sometimes mistakenly think today. It's probably the same figure as Paul who describes the man of lawlessness in in Thessalonians. So these are are figures who are opposing Jesus by what they are being and doing. And what John shows here is that while in the very end times there will be the Antichrist, the man of lawlessness, as Paul calls him, who will be the epitome of someone who opposes everything that Jesus is and does, Between now and then, there are, John says, many 
Antichrist. So it's almost, we might say, while Antichrist with a capital A one day will come at the end, actually there are many Antichrists with small A's right here and now. They were there for him then. They are there with us today. People, movements, isms, organizations who seek to oppose Jesus in so many different ways. So as you said, this is a healthy reminder here that that there's something at work here behind all this false teaching. There is this work of the devil to try and undermine the church of Jesus. Why? Because it's through the church of Jesus that God is making his purposes known on the earth. But he reassures them. He says, don't worry, you, you've got an anointing from the Holy One and, and, and he'll show you the truth keep in him, keep following him, and you needn't fear this. But be alert for him, because as you say, there is something profoundly spiritual going on here too. And this character, Diotrephes, in the third letter, uh, described as somebody who's just got it wrong, just interpreted what leadership as something that was all about him. Yeah, uh, sadly, that's not the last time that has happened in the church, is it? Do you know what? Leadership is not about the leader. The one role of a leader is to make everybody else look good. The one role of a leader is to equip saints for the work of ministry. The leader is not at the top. The leader is at the bottom, underneath everybody, lifting them up. That's the hallmark of a good leader. But this Diotrephes guy wanted to be first. I mean, to the point where in uh, third letter of John, he says, I wrote to the church, but Diotrephes, who loves to be first, will have nothing to do with this. Hello, this is the apostle John, one of Jesus's close friends who walked with him, and you won't have anything to do with him. You are too big for him. You're too important for him. Your diary is too full to make space for him. My goodness, that's not the sort of leader that Jesus wants in the church. So interestingly, these three letters, when you look at them together, highlight the bad things to let us learn about the good things. Yeah, I think it, you know, it tells us about the darkness so we can see the light better. God is light, he will say, as well as love. And in bringing these dark things to us, reminding us of them, it helps the light to be seen more clearly for what it is. In fact, there's this lovely section at the beginning of 1 John where he says, God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. And if we claim to have fellowship with him yet walk in the darkness, we lie and we're not living in the truth. But if we walk in the light as he's in the light, then we've got fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. Maybe I could just add one other thing in there, David, because it follows on from that verse that I just read there about light. One of the things these false teachers were doing was claiming that they had no sin. You know, Jesus had cleansed them. They were now sinlessly perfect. And that was leading to some trouble because some people were clearly thinking, well, I'm not that yet. And I can't talk about these letters of John without reading what have been some of my most favorite verses uh, from these letters. 
and verses that I have used again and again and again in 50 years of Christian ministry. It's 1 John chapter 1, verse 8, that John goes straight on to after talking about living in the light. He says, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Sorry, guys, there's nobody sinlessly perfect except Jesus. But then here's this lovely, powerful pastoral bit. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. I have had people come to me so many times and say, Pastor, I've messed up. I've got this wrong. I've committed the unforgivable sin. Is there any hope for me now? And I tell you, this is a verse I learned off by heart early as a, a pastor to be able to say to people and to assure them of you know, if we say we have no sin, we're deceiving ourselves. But I tell you what, if we'll confess our sin, if we will simply own up and say, God, I got it wrong. And I, I want to say to listeners, it doesn't matter what that is. It doesn't matter how bad that thing is. Whatever it was you did or didn't do or failed to do, whatever it was you said or didn't say, no matter how horrendous you think that sin might be, if we confess our sins... He, God, is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us, purify us from all, all, all unrighteousness. And let someone hear that today, please, Lord, because this is so powerful. And, and this is the Jesus who energized the pastor, John. The, the, the man who cared about people and he cared that they were, well, certainly some who were saying we've never sinned, but he cared what that was doing to others and making them feel so bad because they knew they still did stumble in sin at times. And this God who is both light and love has made provision for us through Jesus that whenever we will come to him, and confess our sin, he's faithful and just and will forgive us our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And that, of course, is what John himself had experienced and what he just delights now to share with his churches. Mike Beaumont has been talking to David Tavener. Listen to more episodes anytime. Bible books in 30 minutes. Through the Bible, book by book, from Genesis to Revelation, this is a United Christian Broadcasters production. For more about UCB, check out the website at ucb.co.uk.